Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. And you are the listeners. Yay. Uh, so we're back with another episode. Um, this one's going to be a little bit different. I know we've done a few, couple episodes lately on, like, familiar tunes and, like, the history of, like, songs that everyone's kind of, you know, familiar with. Hence the name. Um, this one, I... Peter, you reminded me, we, we kind of did a couple of these, like, way back in the day. It was, like, a series that we called Did They Steal It? Where it was, like, two different songs that sound really similar, and we kind of discussed, like, you know, was is, did one rip off the other? Did they both come about, uh, what's the word? Um, like, generically, not generically, but uh, serendipitously. Um, and right. I, this is kind of going to be one of those, like, uh, there's no real definitive answer, but we're going to kind of debate, you know, did one rip off the other kind of thing, which we call, did we steal it? Did, did we steal it? <laughs> I stole it. Uh, um, yeah. Did they it, steal it? Yeah. So, I mean, this was a, that was kind of a fun little mini series we did back. I think it was around 2016 that we did uh, at least, I think we did maybe three episodes in that series. Um, Kitty wants oh. to contribute noise apparently. Um, and I noticed in 2017, we also did an episode that was like a similar concept, but we kind of expanded on it and did like several songs in one episode. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of am considering that in the same uh, thread, I suppose. So this is kind of coming back to that concept a, a number of years later. Um, no, it's, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting sort of sub series that we've developed. I wouldn't mind doing some more of these if we end up finding any, but yeah, um, well, and something yeah. I remember, too, about those episodes is that, like, each one of those cases that we looked into, like, the answer was always a little bit different. And we always kind of, like, ended up touching on a slightly different angle on the whole idea of, you know, what is ownership and all that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what started the whole this whole thing. I know a long while back we talked about the, the court case between the uh, estate of Marvin Gaye and that Robin Thicke song that ripped it off because or ripped mm. him off because the court actually ruled in their favor. So it kind of opened up a lot of what's the word legal. Uh, it kind of rewrote a lot of legal precedent for copyright and whatnot. So it, that mm. kind of got us into that whole, like, Hey, a lot of songs copy other songs. Where's the line? Um, in fact, I think the song was called Wasn't Blur- that song called blurred lines. Blurred lines. Or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is ironic. kind of ironic jinx um, um yeah so in this particular case um uh I, I suppose you could also say this kind of uh uh crosses over a different episode that we had did a while back i want to say it was like music from our favorite video games or something like that yeah or we've done a couple from video games from when we were growing up or something like that we've done we've done a couple we did one on like just our favorite video game music and then a while back i did one on like the evolution of chip tunes oh, uh, yeah. which is kind of a similar vein i suppose yeah we, we we uh obviously we're not a video game podcast but we seem to come back to that every so often like basically any way we can kind of like wedge video games into this music podcast we seem to do it pretty much uh, uh, I mean, we're both big video game nerds. Uh, I collect old video games. You like, like watching videos. Uh, you like watching videos on old video games. 
Um, but yeah, this is going to be kind of one of those scenarios where, uh, anyways, we'll get into it, but I guess to kind of start off, um, um, so the, I was watching a video the other night, um, basically a, a history of, um, the, the nineties video game croc legend of the gobos. Uh, I always called it legend of the gobos, uh, but everyone else seems to call it gobos. So whatever, um, which is uh, in the mid to late nineties, it was one of kind of the first, one of the first 3d platform games. And that was a genre that really, um, kind of exploded in popularity at that time. Kyle will tell you listeners about that in a moment. Um, we've actually talked about this game in, I think it was that, um, music from video games we like episode because mm-hmm. um, the theme song is really delightful and it's fun uh anyway i in the video i was watching the other night um it made a brief mention of like hey uh, the the video game super mario 3d world which is a lot more recent than the crack game uh its theme song seems to at least partially riff off of part of the tune of the of the crack game um and as Kyle mentioned, like it's not clear whether that was intentional or not. I think that's going to be kind of the bulk of the conversation once we get to it. Um, but before we get into the specific case, I think, um, Kyle, you were showing me another a different video that was kind of more broadly about this genre of games in general. Yeah, yeah. So as Peter mentioned, Croc, Legend of the uh, Gobos, is a 3D platforming game. Um, and it was actually one of the first 3D platformers to come out on the Sony PlayStation. I think it was also on the Sega Ma- Master System or whatever whatever 3D one was there. Um, I th- it, what I had written down, it was on the Sega Saturn. Um, Sega Saturn, thank you. It was also on PC, because that's how I played it, for whatever Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but I think it came out as one of the first uh, platformers f- when, around the time that the PlayStation came out. And... Um, not to get into the history of that particular game too uh, too much, but yeah, 3D platforming obviously became a really big genre in video games with the uh, uh, creation of the PlayStation 1, I guess, and the Nintendo 64, which both came out within like about a year of each other. Um, There's a whole side story that I won't get into about how Sony and... Nintendo actually wanted to work together to make a system. Nintendo mm-hmm. eventually walked away from that deal, so Sony went and made the PlayStation. Basically, as it like you know, if if you're not gonna help, if we're not gonna help you, we're just gonna make our own. Um, so yeah, so 3D yeah. platforming really exploded in like the mid '90s with games like Croc, uh, games like Spyro, um, uh, Super Mario 64. Super Mario 64, I think, kind of was like the first one because I think they beat a lot of the Sony platformers to market. So yeah. I guess it, it it only makes sense that the like the original platformer would also be the one to kind of usher in uh, the revolution to 3D. But yeah, the 3D platforming genre really exploded with the advent of that technology in the late 90s and kind of carried through to probably like the mid-2000s through about like two generations of consoles, I guess, you know, N64 to GameCube and PS1 to PS2. Um, but then as consoles became more powerful, once you had like the PS3 and the Wii, platformers started to kind of die off because it, the technology sort of moved past 
that, you know, constricted, like, pre-designed level into more open world mm. um, style designs, and people were craving more sort of explore, exploration style games, games like that, Grand Theft Auto and whatnot, um, that had more of, like, a sandbox aspect to them. So, yeah, so 3D platformers basically had, like, a really good run for about, like, 12 years in the, in the history of video games. Um, and then kind of fizzled out. I'm guessing part of it too might be because like as graphics got better, because like something about the 3D platform game genre is almost like almost a requirement of it is that the the main character is like a cartoony uh, mascot, mm-hmm. exactly. you know, sort of character. And, you know, I think with 3D graphics being fairly rudimentary at that time period, um, having kind of a, bright colored cartoony thing lent lent itself well to that but as graphics got better uh game studios are more like oh how do we make it more realistic or more immersive um so you're kind of getting away from this cartoonized version of a world into something more emphasis toward making it look real or whatever yeah that's that's actually a really good point Uh, basically like the cartooniness lent itself to the limitations of the 3d graphics technology at the time Whereas, you know, as you're right, as it got better, more realistic graphics like things like Grand Theft Auto and stuff started to take shape. Um, And so they didn't need to create these sort of simplistic polygon polygon characters anymore. Um, And those kinds of games, it's it's really interesting because, yeah, 3D platforming very much is a genre trapped by the technology of the time. (laughs) Um, it's like Howard Stark. I'm limited by the te- technology of my time. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so it, it, it exploded onto the scene, obviously revolutionized gaming, you know, as a whole, but then quickly kind of faded away as the technology kind of moved past it. But yeah, Croc, along with uh, Super Mario 64, really was kind of probably one of the first half a dozen platformers to ever exist, 3D platformers to ever exist which is pretty mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, and we're, I'm going to get a little bit more into how early it actually was um, kind of later in this episode. But uh, for now, I'm kind of just going to give an overview of uh, this game and the other game I want to talk about and then also introduce both of their theme songs um, and then get into the the similarities of the songs and then kind of, you know, we'll, we'll get further into it from there. Um, mm-hmm. So as Kyle mentioned, Croc was kind of one of the earliest ones. Uh, it came out in 1997. Um, it was developed by uh, Argonaut Games and released by Fox Interactive. Um, I think Super Mario 64 was in 1996, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that sounds right, because it, 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 it released the same time as the N64. It was like the first game, basically, on the system. Right, okay. Yeah, and so, you know, for people who may have may be recognizing some of the other examples we've been throwing out there, like Spyro the Dragon, uh, Banjo-Kazooie, um, Crash, Crash Bandicoot, Bandicoot yeah. was a big one, um, and obviously Super Mario 64. I mean, like, those are kind of the ones that people remember a lot more um, in that kind of generation of consoles. Um, despite that, I mean, from a sales perspective, Croc did probably at least as well as any of, as most of those other ones at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, for whatever reason, didn't seem to have the same iconic staying powers as other ones. Um, 
But uh, since we've been talking a bit, um, let's go ahead and play a clip of the theme song uh, from this game. Yeah, and uh, something I've noticed just in reading about the game, like in hindsight, like even at the time of its release, um, the music of the, throughout that game, not only the theme song, but the music the playing throughout that game was one of its kind of highlights. Um, oh, yeah. As compared to some of their the, its competitors at the time. Um, the music was composed by a few different people, but leading kind of the composition of the music for this game um, was a guy named Justin uh, Charvona. Uh, who aims to try to compose uh, the songs in this game um, in an, in such a way that people would be able to whistle along with them. Basically, the idea was, how do I make something catchy? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, you know, at, at least if nothing else with the theme song, I feel like uh, you did a good job with that. Um, the, the song that you just heard with the theme song um, apparently was inspired by a song that was on a, a CD of Mexican music um, that Charvona was listening to at the time. Um, and you can kind of get some yeah. uh, flavor yeah. of that, I suppose. There's a little bit of Latin uh, in there for sure. Yeah. Um, and actually, one of the worlds that you go through in that game is like a desert world, and a lot of the music has kind of that Mexican or Latin influence in it for sure. Um. So that that's that game. Now the other game I want to talk about, um, not Mar- not so much at least at the moment, Mario sixty four, um, but sixteen years after this game came out um, was Super Mario three D World, um, which was another Mario platforming game uh, published by Nintendo for the Wii U in twenty thirteen, um, and uh, I read that this was the sixth three uh, D platforming game in the Mario series, um, with obviously. 64 being the first one. Mm. Uh, I know there were numerous Ma- others. Mario I know, Galaxy, uh, Mario Sunshine. Yeah, uh, like those, I I feel like those are all very popular, even in hindsight. Oh, yeah. Um, they still seem to have pretty large followings. Um, so, so 3D World was the sixth game in that series, I suppose. Um, like I said, that was well, this was well over a decade after Croc uh, came out. But uh, let's listen to... Uh, this theme song as well. Uh, just a side note with this song. Uh, <laughs> Since I kind of discovered this song, you know, as researching this, this damn thing has been stuck in my head multiple times, like in the last few days. Um, so I think that kind of says a lot about its, uh, I guess, similar to the Croc song, like they wanted to make it catchy and kind of an earworm mm-hmm. that would stick in your head. It's going to be in my head all day now. <laughs> um, so, yes, this song... Um, actually, Kyle, do you want to tell the listeners about this song? Sure. Uh, so yeah, this song, as Peter said, was composed for Super Mario 3D World. It was composed by Mahito Yakoda, um, who had composed music for the Super Mario Galaxy games a few years earlier. 
Um, he said, quote, There are naturally a lot of tracks performed live. We're arranging the music with a big band feel, taking advantage of a full horn section with trumpets and saxophones. Uh, among the new tracks composed for the game, there were also new arrangements of songs from older games, like Super Mario Bros. 2. Yeah, there's always like that kind of classic Mario theme that carries through all the games, but often they'll kind of, you know, add some flair to it, I guess, uh, each time they make a new game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this one seems like I was reading that they were very much um, trying for like a jazz uh, flair on the whole Mario formula, I guess, musically. Um, and the, the song is certainly, you know, really well done, I would say. I, this is not a game I've played. Um, but you, you can, you can definitely get the whole feel like I've, I've played other Nintendo games in the last, you know, 10 years and you kind of get that same brand feel almost the way you, you know, it sounds, Mm -hmm. um, but with also with that, you know, jazzy flair to it too. So, uh, it's a, it's a good song in itself for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, I want to say, I don't know if I played Super Mario 3D World. I think... I think they re-released it for the um, for the Switch, but I don't think I ever played it on the Switch. I never had a Wii U. The, the Wii U as a system was so confusing to me. Okay, I'm going to get into this really quick. So the Wii came out in 2006. That was the one with the motion controller, remember, that everybody and their, and their grandma had. The Wii U came out in 2012, I think. Um, and when it initially was announced, I thought it was like... I thought it was like an accessory upgrade to the Wii because the Wii U used a controller that had a screen on it. It literally looked like like a like a big uh, Game Boy Advance or something. Um, and I thought it was just like this controller accessory for the Wii. And from <laughs> what I read, their marketing was horrible for the Wii U, and it actually did confuse a lot of people where they thought that oh, this is just a, a upgrade accessory for the Wii not an entirely new system. So it was like the worst selling system in their entire history to the point that within like four years, they announced the switch to replace it. I didn't under, I, I, I knew that it was a really poor system in terms of sales. I didn't realize that was the reason or a big reason. I don't think that was entirely the reason. I think, uh, I think it was a combination of that and just poor marketing in general. And they, they, yeah. I don't think a lot of people really liked the gimmick of, you know, even though you're playing on a television sc- screen, you have a secondary screen in your hand that you have to like kind of look back and forth between. It's like it's like they mm-hmm. tried to take the concept of the N- Nintendo DS, but like make it a home console. And I, I just don't think it landed. Which is funny because then the Switch kind of went even further in that direction, but that became a lot more successful well, yeah the switch I, yeah. The, the switch did it more intelligently they they create they basically created a handheld and home console in one system but yeah. you're not having to look at two screens at once you're either playing it on your television or you're holding it in your hand but you can seamlessly go back and forth between the two through the dock which is kind I of i guess genius. the wii u is probably the the wii u is probably the identity crisis of it doesn't know which one it is yeah. Whereas the Switch kind of decided it was both. The way you walked so that the Switch could run. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's Kyle's Nintendo History Tech Corner. But yeah, that was just my little Wii U rant. 
That's funny. Um, so as you, you know, having heard both songs, Kyle, I mean, in general, would you say they, I mean, I, I gen, in general, I don't think they sound that similar. Like they do sound very distinct from each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. We haven't gotten to the specific part and we should probably just do that now. Um, so I want to, I, I guess why I'm bringing this up is I want to say in general, like this other song, this Mario song is not a copy of the other one whatsoever. Um, the the thing that really is kind of the that this episode is hinging on um i guess we should listen to two clips of these two songs back to back um and Kyle i put the time codes in there for you so that you can kind of listen to them back to back and do that for the listeners too I mean, listening that listening to them back to back personally, it doesn't sound similar enough to me to think it was like, oh, they ripped they ripped off this. Maybe just because they're both using similar instrumentations. Uh, but the notes mm-hmm. themselves even sound different. They're a little different, but I mean, they're very like I. It might be just because I'm, I've known the Croc song for like decades, so like that string of notes is very familiar to me so if i hear anything that's similar to it, it's like oh that's very similar but it is interesting that you're kind of getting a different opinion on that and the, the listeners might um you know your mileage may vary on that as well um but obviously i'm not the only one who thinks that because someone else brought it up too um but so my question with this whole thing is like is it possible that you know, there's some homage going on here. Is it just a complete coincidence? Um, I did write down here that, so um, Mahito Yakoda, the composer of the Mario song, mm-hmm. um, I looked him up and he's been composing music for games since the 1990s. Um, so if nothing else, in early in his career, I think it would have been pretty unlikely that he wouldn't have been aware of, of the music of, of the Croc game at True. that time. yeah. Um, now does that mean that 16 years later he decided, Hey, I'm going to riff this one piece of that song (laughs) that I may or may not have heard, you know, 15 years ago. You know, I I don't think there's really a strong link there. Um, I I certainly don't think it was just straight up theft or anything like that. I just don't know. Unless they were both listening to the same, uh, CD of Mexican music. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, that's a good point. But yeah, that's that's the part we didn't think about. Um, so to kind of, I guess, I I want obviously I want to keep talking about the the comparison of the of the tune from those two songs, but to kind of, to kind of expand on the theory a little bit, I also want to brief briefly get into the history of Croc itself because it, it actually is very intertwined with the history of the Super Mario games. Mm-hmm. And I think going through this extra bit of history might give us a little bit more context as to the question of the song thing. Um, so I, I won't, I'll try not to spend too much time on this, but essentially, so we've talked about Mario Super Mario 64, which was on the Nintendo 64, which came out, I think, in 1996. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, this was a year before Croc released. Um, 
but um, both games were in development more or less at the same time. Um, and actually, so in the early 90s, um, Nintendo had a very strong relationship with Argonaut Studios, who would eventually make Croc. Um, as Argonaut had de- co-developed um, Star Fox in 1993 with Nintendo. And they, the, the two companies were also partnering on like uh, like hardware advancements, essentially, mm-hmm. um, for the SNES. And they were starting to work on things for the N64 as well. Um, so at the time, in the early 90s, like these two were like peas in a pot, essentially. Um, and on the heels of this kind of whole success the Argonaut Studios was seeing... They said, hey, let's create a tech demo, uh, you know, looking forward, let's make a tech demo for a 3D game that could feature one of Nintendo's characters. Um, and they chose Yoshi um, for, you know, the the stories about this kind of vary a little bit. Um, apparently, the pitch was would have been like a game called Yoshi Racing. Um, but this would have been the first time any Nint- Nintendo characters were like shown in 3D in, in a game setting, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kyle, do you want to read this quote, um, from Jez Sand, the founder of Argonaut Studios? Yeah. Uh, Jez Sand said, quote, we pitched to do it as a 3D platform game, the likes of which had never been done before. We mocked up a prototype using Yoshi. It was essentially the world's first 3D platform game and was obviously a big risk. Nintendo had never let an outside company use their characters before. And weren't about to either. This is the moment the deal fell apart. Yeah. So the, the the exact story is a little muddy because like even the people who are directly involved in this, including Jess Sand, this guy, kind of gave different accounts of how this all happened uh, mm-hmm. over the years. But from what we can kind of piece together, so it it seems they kind of made made this made this pitch to Nintendo, saying like, "Hey, you know." We've been working a lot together. We have the opportunity to kind of create this whole new genre of gaming, essentially, um, by portraying your characters in 3D. But because Nintendo was so uh, clenching onto their IPs, I guess, and characters, mm-hmm. even even for a, a, a closely partnered studio to even pitch something with those characters was like, you don't do that, apparently. Um, so... Uh, Reportedly, pretty quickly after this, um, the relationship between the two companies fell apart. Um, and it, around the same time that Argonaut made this pitch, um, what most people didn't know is that Nintendo was starting to work on their own 3D platforming game with their characters, which would become Super Mario Night or Super Mario 64. Um, so it's a little unclear of like, was Nintendo already working on it? Did they see this pitch and were like, oh, hey, we should do that. And they went and did it themselves. Um, you know, obviously with uh, with Argonaut Studios now kind of out of Nintendo's favor, you know, they wanted to continue this 3D platform idea that they had come up with. Mm. Um, but obviously they couldn't use Nintendo characters. So they took the Yoshi idea, they kind of tweaked it a bit so that it was still like a a green lizard-ish character, and that was what became Croc. Um, and, you know, Nintendo, it seems like both projects basically started around the same time and may or may not have been inspired by each other. Um, obviously, like we said, Mario 64 came out first in 96, and then Croc came out in 97. So 
even though there was that gap in the release time, the development was very much kind of intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that context in mind, I think you could say like industry wise or even like Nintendo wise, maybe there was some knowledge of like, Hey, we're making this game, even though a different company kind of came up with the idea first, potentially. Um, so with that all in mind, you know, as we look at the comparisons between the two songs between Croc and Mario, you know, was Mahito Yokota making some like extremely obscure callback <laughs> to the common thread between those two game franchises? Um, yeah, yeah. With that, <laughs> with that context in mind, it definitely raises a few eyebrows. Um, yeah, it's it's a real stretch to think that it was intentional. I don't think it's impossible that it was intentional, but I just think that the fact that there is that common tune in both songs and they have all this extra history, it you know it it, it does make you question whether it was coincidental. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that was the 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 video you're referencing and that you sent it to me a while back talk, talking about the history of croc was kind of amazing to me because in in essence even though it's kind of one of the lesser known 3d platformers although it did sell very well for uh sony and uh, like you said on pc um it basically is arguably one of the most important games made at that time because it's basically a byproduct of this co- this company argonauts basically development of 3d uh, rasterization for games going all the mm-hmm. way back to the Super Nintendo which really couldn't even handle 3D at the time they they had to help Nintendo work on a special chip called like the I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this like the su- turbo graphics or super graphics or something mm-hmm. um, that would allow Super Nintendo to render really rudimentary 3D polygons before the N64 even came out that's how they um that's how they made the original Star Fox game. And then mm. there's like there's like a lost Star Fox 2 game supposedly. I, I don't even know about that. Um but yeah, it's now realizing the kind of uh strained history between between the two companies, it it does it does make it a bit more curious whether this was a sort of callback to the original Croc platformer game. Um like like you said even if it, if if they did do it it was it was probably meant to be an homage more than just like a, hey we're gonna screw you guys because by right when, by when did super mario 3d world come out 2013 what was yeah. the Ar- was not even still around at that point i don't think so they're not they're certainly not around now i don't remember exactly when they went belly up it was early 2000s i want to say i don't remember mm-hmm. But so, I'm pretty sure they would have been gone by that point. Yeah. yeah. So so at at best it's it's an homage, um, and more than likely it's just happenstance because maybe it's a it's a common note progression, you know, in I don't know, Latin music or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm certainly coming into this with the feeling of like if anything it is homage. Like I never thought like, oh, this is you know, intentionally trying to do harm. I, I don't know why it would be because the game was by that point was like basically forgotten. 
yeah. it was a couple generations old by that point. Um, the studio that made it didn't really exist anymore. Um, so my, I guess the question really comes down to, was it homage or was it a coincidence? And I just don't know. But I yeah, think no, I, I, it's, the it's background behind it just makes it an interesting thought experiment. Yeah, exactly. No, it's 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 definitely hard to tell. But it, it, learning about the the history between Nintendo and Croc, I guess, does make it all that more fun to to uh, guess about. Mm-hmm. But uh, which you've you've played Super Mario sixty four, right? A little bit, yeah. Did you? Uh, would you say you liked that or Croc better? Uh. Gosh, it's been so long since I've played either of them, honestly. Yeah. Um, I will say, I'll, I will, I'm kind of forking off of that question. Um, I will say really quick that the video that was about that Croc history thing, he kind of, the one thing I disagree with him about in that video was he really like uh, talked about how Croc 2 was a piece of shit game. Um, I actually completely disagree and think that was the far superior game of the two. Um, mm. And I play that probably at least once a year and have for like the last 20 years. So like, that's the one that I have more, uh, that I can, you know, speak more about just because like I've played it more recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, after all this, I would like to go back and play the first one again, cause it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so between the two, I guess it's hard for me to say which one I like better. Um, I will say the, the controls, of Croc were not very good in the first game. Um, so I, and I feel like super Mario 64 did a better job at getting that right the first time, which is kind of remarkable, honestly. Yeah. I honestly, that's the one thing I do. I do feel like the super Mario 64 really had, uh, they really fleshed up the concept of like moving the 3d camera around the character before any of the others. I know a lot of the early 3d platformers really had issues with like, camera following the character and like kind of mm-hmm. be camera going in weird places so you'd like don't have a good what's the word perspective on like maybe some place you're supposed to jump to or something um and yeah super super mario 64 definitely like had that locked down pretty early on which i thought was pretty cool um mm-hmm. i haven't played croc literally probably since the 90s <laughs> That's why, like, even when you mentioned it, I was just like, oh my god, I remember that game. It was like a, like a memory <laughs> memory got unlocked for me or something. But yeah. um, I have Super Mario 64. I have the DS, like, remake of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I've, I play that fairly frequently, maybe like once every couple of years. And that game still holds up for me. I, I still think it's great. Do you still... Kind of dar- Nintendo fanboy. Do you play it on the Switch as well? No, no, they they released. I I'm kind of bummed at myself for not getting it. They released a like physical only like tr- uh, what do you call it um, trilogy where it had Super Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, and Super Mario Galaxy on one I guess game mm-hmm. um, as like a, I think it was like the 25th anniversary or something of or maybe 35th anniversary of Super Mario. And they released it as a physical-only, like, uh, game for the Switch. You couldn't buy it digitally. And they had, like, a limited run. It was only uh, purchasable, like, that year for, like, six months. And then they didn't make any more. And 
for whatever reason, I just never bought it, and I'm kind of kicking myself. I should have just went and bought it. But, uh, yeah, I just play it on the DS for now. Gotcha. Good stuff. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's more or less all I've got about this. Um, I guess a lot of it wasn't necessarily about the music itself, but I think, um, you know, kind of ties it all together and uh, loosely makes it relevant to funk radio. <laughs> yes. Uh, I was going to say, we're going to have to slowly change our name to just uh, music radio or video game <laughs> radio or something. Yeah. Jet Set Radio, that was actually a video game. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I like you said, I think the history between the two companies is really the interesting aspect of this whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, I know both of us find video game history and te- video game technology in general really interesting because <laughs> we're nerds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, this was this was a fun topic for me. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, if you listeners want to listen to other similar episodes you've done in the past that we mentioned about, you know, whether one song stole from another one. Um, none of them were about video game music, to my knowledge. I think they were all about, like, pop songs. Uh, you can go to getyourfunk.com, and you can uh, basically use the search bar to go find those. Um, that's how I found them, because <laughs> I was trying to remember. Um, and if you don't want to do that, you can yell at us on Facebook at facebook.com slash get your funk and you can ask us why are you using a, a boomer social media site that stopped being popular like 10 years ago we we should now that twitter is a dumpster fire more than normal we should go on there that would be very on brand for us to be just like to start being on twitter now <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> once everyone else has left we're like hey guys we're like the internet explorer of podcasts <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this this has been your crocolicious host, Kyle. And this has been your super 3D host, Peter. Thanks for listening, and you will listen next time. Or else. Bye, we love you. 